Empty Set Entertainment presents Slay, created by Scott Sigler. This story is intended for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, my favorite junkie. No matter what anybody else says, you are my favorite junkie. I've been unable to kick the cough that has been hounding me for the past two weeks, so forgive any frogs in the throats in this episode. The Slay Experiment continues. This is episode six. I read these episodes live on our Wednesday live stream. If you want to know when these go live, text the word SIGTEXT, one word, S-I-G-T-E-X-T, to 855-955-5095, and you'll get a Wednesday text prompt to let you know about our Wednesday live shows. Hang out with the other junkies, me, a real girl. It's pretty fun. So I read these Slay episodes live on Wednesdays with the goal of taking that recorded video of the story, trimming out the ums, ahs, retakes, etc., then ripping the audio and serving it up to you as the Sunday episode. So far, technical errors and general learning curve stuff have made me re-record all six of the episodes so far to get you the stuff into your Sunday feed. I think we've got it dialed in. For episode seven, where I will use the Wednesday live read and not have to re-record, but we will see. Takes time to learn a new skill set. So, with six episodes in, we're at 18,000 words in the book. The goal for this novel is 80,000 words. So therefore, by the process of extrapolation, there should be about 21 episodes left for a total of 27 episodes. The goal is to finish this novel via the live streams, polish it up, and see if we can put that audio into Audible without having to re-record the whole thing. We don't know if we'll be able to do it, but that is what we are going for. We will see how it goes. All right, without further ado, let me get you caught up on the story. Then I'm going to go see if I can get a nap without coughing up a lung. Previously on Slay. Young Billy, Lil B. Middleton's childhood friend Joe, enticed him into the criminal underworld for the first time, as a local to set up a drug deal with Dante Oganov, a mobster from out of town. That deal went south in a big way when Oganov forced Billy to take a dab of nurple, which made Billy hallucinate monsters, Dante as a goblin, and Dante's bodyguard as a seven-foot-six ogre. Things went from bad to worse when a man in a gray cloak methodically killed Oganov's men, including Joe, who was standing next to Billy when the man in gray blew a hole in Joe's head. The man in gray seemed to sniff Billy, then let him go with a warning to choose another career. Terrified beyond belief, Billy fled for his life. That man in gray is Lincoln Franks, son of Jacoby Franks, who some say was the greatest monster hunter of all time. Lincoln was ordered by Kalista, an underworld boss, to stop Dante's drug deal and bring the proceeds to her. There, we learn that Kalista keeps Lincoln's son Samuel in a place called The Shelf. To keep Sam alive, Lincoln must do whatever Kalista asks of him. That includes his new mission to kill an as-yet-unnamed lawyer that crossed Kalista. Before embarking on that assassination, though, Lincoln visited his father in the Sunset House old folks' home. Jacoby did not hide his disappointment in his son and accused Lincoln of being the very thing the family has fought against for eight generations. Exhausted, Lincoln tapped out. As he left his father's room, polishing off the last of a flask of whiskey as he did, 
He ran headlong into his older sister, Sophia, and his younger brother, Lucas. It had already been a long day, but not long enough, apparently. Trials remained. And was there any trial greater than that of family? Hey, sis, Lincoln said. Good to see you. Truth be told, it was good to see her. The timing could have been better, though. Like maybe when Lincoln hadn't just killed eight men. Or hadn't been drunk. Or hadn't just had his sphincter reamed out by his booze-addled, senile hero father. A booze-addled, senile hero father that always screamed about what a worthless excuse for a son Lincoln was. Way to go, Lucas said. Sounds like you got dad all fired up. Again. Sophia and Lucas both wore the standard poor-me bastion attire. Both in white long-sleeve shirts with brown ties, Lucas in brown slacks, Sophia in a brown skirt. She had added brown leggings to help ward off the cold. She looked so much like their mother, even though she was a decade older than mom had been when she died. The resemblance was spooky. She and Lincoln had both inherited mom's lithe athletic form and taut musculature. Well, Lincoln had once had taut muscles anyway. All the drinking, all the drugs, and all the late nights with Magda added up. As for Lucas... He still had the same heavyweight contender look as Dad. At least, the Dad possessed before the attack, before the wheelchair. Lucas outweighed his older brother by 20 pounds already, and the kid wasn't done growing. It wasn't fair, really. Little brothers were supposed to stay little. Yeah, Lucas, Lincoln said. That's why he came here, to fire Dad up. Like he didn't try to do it? Lucas sneered with a dismissive air of a 17-year-old who knows all there is to know. Then why is he always pissed off when you leave? I bet you want him to get worse. Lincoln reached for his brother's throat, but Sophia slid between them. Really, Lincoln? She shook her head. Here? Lucas huffed. She doesn't want you to get your ass kicked in public. Good thing you didn't touch me, bro, because you'd be looking for your teeth right now. Sophia put a palm on Lincoln's chest, sending a clear message to stay where he was. She turned and eyed Lucas. Baby brother, don't let your mouth write checks that your body can't cash, she said. You are not in Lincoln's league. Lincoln saw doubt flash in Lucas's eyes. Lucas knew he wasn't ready to challenge Lincoln one-on-one, and that knowledge burned. Whatever, Lucas said. You aren't as badass as you think, bro. Maybe not, Lincoln said, but I'm guessing you're still as broke-ass as I think you are. Or are you finally going to pitch in on Dad's care? Lucas's big hands clenched into big fists. You know we took vows of poverty. Lincoln nodded. I know. I also know you two are the only idiots in the bastion that take that vow seriously. Sophia glared in a way only a big sister can, a way that cuts you to the core. Lucas, she said, why don't you take a walk? Me? Lucas shook his head. No way. He, Sophia turned on him, stepped in close. Go now, or Lincoln won't get to kick your ass because I will do it first. 
Lucas flushed, his too white skin turning a rosy pink. He stormed off down the hall. I see he can't whip you yet, Lincoln said. Not yet, but he's close. The kid's got skills and he trains hard. He's also got a mean streak. Reminds me of someone. I wonder who. He's an ungrateful little shit. Come on, Lincoln, Sophia said. Cut him some slack. So you're on his side? Sophia sighed. I am on the family's side. In an instant, Lincoln saw himself through her eyes. He saw his surly attitude, his petulance. She didn't deserve either. Yeah, he said. I suppose you are. Sophia took his hand. He started to yank it away, but she held it tight. How's Dad? Lincoln gently held her wrist, pulled his hand free. Same, I guess, he said. Always offering loving, fatherly advice. You're the black sheep of the family, little brother. The first Franks in seven generations to walk away from the bastion. You don't think that cuts Dad deep? The precious bastion, Lincoln said. Look what the bastion did for him. He got wrecked doing his job. They abandoned him. I am not defending the bastion, Sophia said. But everyone knows the deal going in. I know it. Dad knew it. And you knew it, too. He wanted to yell at her. Tell her she didn't know a fucking thing about him. But the truth was, Sophia knew everything about him. She always had. Yeah, I just... You know, I wish his Alzheimer's would kick in once when I'm visiting. As fucked up as it sounds, that would be nice. Just, just for once, I'd like him to not crawl up my ass. She nodded with understanding. For a long time, Sophia had been the target of Jacoby Lincoln's tough love, which consisted of scorn, disdain, and constantly being told she wasn't good enough. She'd remained that target until it became clear that Lincoln was the superior fighter, the better hunter. After that, Jacoby gave Sophia all the love and support a child could ask for. The tough love switched to Lincoln, and there it had stayed. I understand, Sophia said. Any word on my nephew? When Jacoby asked about little Sam, it was an indictment. When Sophia asked, it was from a place of the deepest love. He's still there, Lincoln said. She again took his hand, and this time, he didn't fight her. We will get him out, Sophia said. We just have to look for the right opportunity. We? I can only imagine what the monks of the Bastion will say about that. Their opinion doesn't matter, Sophia said. He's my nephew. You're my brother. Family first, Lincoln. (laughs) I doubt Lucas would feel the same way. Lucas is a teenager, Sophia said. I remember you at the same age. You were going to be the purest hero the Bastion had ever seen. You were going to master magic. You were going to be the chosen one. She scowled and bunched up her shoulders. In a tough guy mockery, spoke in a gruff imitation of Lincoln. I will be incorruptible. I'll be even greater than father. In years past, that impression had made him laugh. These days, though, not so much. Yeah, Lincoln said. And look how I turned out. She patted his hand, then let it go. You look pretty toasted, she said. Are you staying off the gobbers? 100%. I don't even touch his stuff. The slightest shake of her head 
told him she didn't believe a word of it. Are you sure Magda isn't steering you wrong? You know us former Rixators, Lincoln said. We perpetually walk the path of discipline and goodness. She didn't believe that, either. I'm going to go see Dad, she said. Stay clean, Lincoln. She walked past him and into Jacoby's room. Lincoln heard the old man's voice blossom with delight at the very sight of her. Sophia, light of my life! Same man, completely different reaction. It wasn't fair. But such was life. Lincoln headed for the exit. Time to ride home and see just how much booze and drugs it took to forget. Would Magda be down for a gobber or two? Magda was always down for a gobber or two. Or three. She was the only person in this world who wanted to forget more than Lincoln did. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. It was cold as hell, yet Billy was sweating. Lungs burning, stomach heaving, he leaned against the closed security gate of a Boost Mobile store. He had run through the night, and run, and run some more, away from the warehouse, out of the industrial area, his feet carrying him toward home. He'd run until he saw something that made him stop running. The mailbox looked like any other. Blue, with a curved top, a battered USPS logo on the side. Normal, except for one small detail. The little pull-down drop slot thing wasn't a little pull-down drop slot thing. It was a mouth, all done up in heavy red lipstick. Like that poster from that old musical movie. 
the Rocky Bullwinkle Horror Show, or something like that, anyway. Sup, homie, the mailbox said. What the fuck are you staring at? Billy closed his eyes, hoping the hallucination might pass. He opened them. It had not. First trip, I'm guessing, the mailbox said. Billy nodded. I figured. The mailbox smiled, showing white teeth. The big reveal is a lot to handle. A talking mailbox. It was real. But it couldn't be real. It couldn't. These sirens had been real, though. Billy was pretty sure of that. The sirens and the cop cars rushing toward the warehouse. Real, because that was where Billy had set up his first ever drug deal. Real, because people had been killed there. People like Joe. You're still staring, the mailbox said. Take a picture. It'll last longer. That was actually a good idea. When Billy came off this ridiculous nurple high, he could look at the pic and know he'd been tripping balls. Assuming this was what happened when one tripped balls. He had never tripped before. He pulled out his cell phone, raised it toward the mailbox. In the phone, there were no lips, just the regular old pull-down thing, scratched and dented blue metal, dimly lit by a nearby streetlight. Ha-ha, the mailbox said. Dumbass. Noobs always fall for that. Billy put his phone back in his coat pocket. His sweat was cooling now, and he was feeling the night's chill. More sirens. How many dead bodies in that warehouse? He wasn't sure. Had the man in gray killed Dante and LT? Billy's breathing slowed. He was getting his wind back. How far had he run? It seemed like miles, but he had sprinted the whole way. Oh my, the mailbox said. You've got some schmutz on your right shoulder there. Billy reached up, felt something cold and wet. He looked at his fingertips. Blood. Joe's blood. The man in gray had shoved a shotgun under the chin of Billy's friend, then pulled the trigger. Billy had been standing right next to Joe. Summon your hair, too, the mailbox said. Billy reached up, felt a wet chunk. He looked at it. Pinkish gray with a fleck of white in it. Looks like brains, the mailbox said. Man, your first dirt must have been one hell of a banger. Brains. Joe's brains. Derp, Billy said. What is that? Your first hit of nurple. Nerp derp. It's slang, kid. Take a look around, Aladdin. It's a whole new world. Billy did. He knew where he was. Second Street, near the on-ramp. One neighborhood from home. Five- and six-story apartment buildings. Cars parked along the curb, some with accumulated trash and blown leaves gathered under the wheels. A patrol car rolling past. Nice rides driven by people coming to get drugs or hookers. Beat-up cars driven by tired people either coming home from the overnight shift or on their way to the early morning shift. The McDonald's, the Burger King, the still-burned-out CVS on the corner, the parking lot where little Drano called the shots, Coletta's electronics repairs, Franco's bail bonds. Billy had spent countless hours in this area, but he'd never seen it like this. 
someone had painted Ronald Chokes on Hamburglar Cock on the front of the McDonald's in some kind of weird, green-glowing paint. The front of the Burger King had its own glowing graffiti. The king takes it raw in his flame broiler, and BK Fries sucks several bags of dicks. Up and down the street, some of the battered store signs he'd seen a thousand times without thinking of them had changed. The original signs and bird shit spotted awnings were there, but so were glowing letters. Coletta's read, Coletta's Curse Removal and Pawn. The donut shop that had been shuttered for a decade read, Soul Holes by the Baker's Dozen. Letters spray-painted in glowing purple on an alley entrance read, The Perps Nerpatorium. It wasn't every building, not even close. Up and down the street, though, here and there, such signs glowed into the night. This is crazy, Billy said. Yeah, tell me about it, the mailbox said. Mickey D's and BK really hate each other. They've got crazy beef, if you don't mind the pun. Billy shook his head. No, not that. I mean, I mean, all of this. I've never seen this stuff before, and I've lived around here all my life. Because you've been blinded, the mailbox said. Now you're seeing what really exists. A hallucination with self-justifying logic? It reminded Billy of the dreams he'd had where he argued intensely with someone. The partner in the argument was his own subconscious mind, obviously, so he was arguing with himself, but even when he knew he was dreaming, the opposition stance often seemed compelling, spouting out lines that sounded like they came from a different person altogether. Nah, this doesn't exist, Billy said. It's my head, fucking with me. My brother, are you talking to that mailbox? A big man walking a chihuahua wearing a fluffy white sweater stood ten feet away, staring at Billy. From the look on the man's face, it was clear he didn't see the rocky bullwinkle lipstick lips. Awkward, the mailbox said. The man looked like he could whoop someone's ass. Several someone's. He had that, I walk a small dog in a fluffy white sweater at 4 a.m. in this neighborhood and I don't give two shits kind of badass energy. No, sir, Billy said. I was just talking to myself. The big man nodded. Uh-huh. Young Buck, let me give you some advice. Whatever you're buying from Lil Drano, stop taking that shit. Make something of your life. And get that blood cleaned off your jacket before the cops drive by again. The man gave the leash a little snap, and the chihuahua pranced down the sidewalk, pink leash bouncing in time. The mailbox was polite enough to wait for the man to turn the corner before speaking again. So, kid... Do you live around here? Maybe you can mail some packages soon. A box of cookies, maybe. You wouldn't believe the things some of these rejects put down my throat. It's gross. I am not a garbage can. Or a porta potty if you catch my drift. Billy closed his eyes. He had had enough. At this hour, he needed to swing over to 5th Street to avoid anyone in the rolling outlaws who might be up looking for easy pickings. The assholes in that gang had been fucking with him for the past two years. He just wanted to avoid everyone, talking mailboxes included, and get home to Grandma. I'm going now, he said, and started walking. Nice talking to you, the mailbox said. 
I'll catch you again when you come see the perp. Billy stopped, turned. The perp? Yes, across the street, Mailbox said. The nerp perp. When you come back for your next hit. Billy shook his head. Man, fuck that. I'm not doing this stuff ever again. The mailbox's red lips spread wide. Oh my. Sure you're not, kid. Sure you're not. At that moment, Billy again realized he was talking to a mailbox and that the mailbox's words were coming from somewhere in his own subconscious. He pulled his coat tighter against the cold and he headed for home. You have been listening to Slay, created and read by Scott Sigler. Copyright 2023, Empty Set Entertainment. For more information on the author and more books, visit scottsigler.com. Theme music is the song They're Watching Me by the band Superweapon. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.